Welcome to the New View Police Podcast. My name is Dr. Paul Taylor, your host for the show that unpacks popular narratives, dispels myths, and challenges groupthink with a fresh, no-holds-barred perspective on policing in the United States. Welcome to this special episode of the New View Police Podcast. Today, we'll be talking about California Assembly Bill 360, which banned the term and medical diagnosis of excited delirium. The bill was introduced by Assembly Member Mike Gibson, who said, This issue was brought to my attention through the very tragic circumstances. In 2020, Angelo Quinto, a Filipino-American Navy veteran dealing with a mental health crisis, stopped breathing while two police officers knelt on his back and neck. Mr. Quinto's official cause of death was determined to be excited delirium. The bill was signed into law by Governor Gavin Newsom last Sunday. Now, before I go any further, let me just say that any in-custody death is an absolute tragedy, and both researchers and police practitioners should strive to understand these awful outcomes with the goal of reducing or, even where possible, eliminating them entirely. Unfortunately, this was not the goal of those who wrote this piece of legislation. And, you know, before we start talking about it, I think I should probably read the legislation uh, as it's written. So uh, the bill states, and it's divided into two sections, the people of the state of California do enact as follows. Section 1. Section 1156.5 is added to the evidence code to read. A. Evidence that a person suffered or experienced excited delirium shall not be admitted in any civil action. B. A party or witness may describe the factual circumstances surrounding the case, including a person's demeanor, conduct, and physical and mental condition at issue, but shall not describe or diagnose such demeanor, conduct, or condition as excited delirium, or attribute such demeanor, conduct, or physical and mental condition to excited delirium. C. For the purposes of this section, excited delirium means a term used to describe a person's state of agitation, excitability, paranoia, extreme aggression, physical violence, and apparent immunity to pain that is not listed in the most current version of the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders or for which the court finds there is insufficient scientific evidence or diagnostic criteria to be recognized as a medical condition. Excited delirium includes but is not limited to excited delirium syndrome, excited delirium, hyperactive delirium, agitated delirium, and exhaustive mania. Section 2. Chapter 3.5, commencing with Section 24400, is added to Division 20 of the Health and Safety Code to read, Excited Delirium. For the purposes of this chapter, excited delirium means a term used to describe a person's state of agitation, excitability, paranoia, extreme aggression, physical violence, and apparent immunity to pain that is not listed in the most current version of the Diagnostic Manual and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, or for which the court finds there is insufficient scientific evidence or diagnostic criteria to be recognized as a medical condition. Excited delirium includes, but is not limited to, excited delirium syndrome, excited delirium, hyperactive delirium, agitated delirium, and exhaustive mania. 
Excited delirium shall not be recognized as a valid medical diagnosis or cause of death in this state. B. A government entity or employee or contractor of a government entity shall not document, testify to, or otherwise use in any official capacity or communication excited delirium as a recognized medical diagnosis or cause of death. C. A coroner or medical examiner shall not state on the certificate of death or in any report that the cause of death was excited delirium. The coroner or medical examiner may list and describe the contributing causes of death, but shall not describe the underlying cause as excited delirium. A peace officer shall not use the term excited delirium to describe an individual in an incident report completed by a peace officer. A peace officer may describe the characteristics of an individual's conduct, but shall not generally describe the individual's demeanor, conduct, or physical and mental condition at issue as excited delirium. Pursuant to section 1156.5 of the Evidence Code, evidence that a person suffered or experienced excited delirium is inadmissible in any civil action. A party or witness may describe the factual circumstances surrounding the case, including a person's demeanor, conduct, and physical and mental condition at issue, but shall not describe or diagnose such demeanor, conduct, or condition as excited delirium or attribute such demeanor, conduct, or or physical and mental condition to excited delirium. So that that's the uh, that's the statute. That's the the law that was signed uh, by uh, Governor Gavin Newsom last Sunday. Um, and really, I, I see three issues with that. And and I'm just going to dive straight into them. This is going to be a little bit shorter podcast than usual. Um, but they're they're really I, I see three issues. And and effect effectively, right? They they they've banned excited delirium. Uh, and basically the presentation of excited delirium as evidence in, in a court case. So that can't be brought forward and they've banned it as a medical diagnosis. And, and the three issues I see, uh, the first uh, and second being kind of uh, less consequential, but I think still important. And the third probably being the most important. The first issue I see is that the legislative banning of a medical term and or diagnosis is problematic at best. And it's highly unprecedented. Uh, while my research was brief, and I was unable to find, I was unable to find any other examples of of a legislative body in the United States banning a specific medical term or diagnosis. I, I certainly could not find another instance of it uh, in the California Evidence Code or in its Health and Safety Code. And I, I spent some time digging through that. There's there's no other example of this in in, in either either place, and I'm not aware of of other uh, legislation in the United States banning a specific medical diagnosis or medical term. Uh, while politics have certainly been deeply involved in both medicine and science, particularly over the last four years, this is yet another blatant example of politicians demanding that science and medicine conform to their conception of reality rather than writing legis- legislation that is informed by true scientific in- inquiry uh, and or medical evidence. And quite frankly, I don't want politicians who uh, have 
uh, who have uh, 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 really uh, political interests to have a role in legislating medical diagnosis or medical terminology, or for that matter, legislating what science should be conducted and what science shouldn't be conducted. I, I find that highly problematic. The second issue that I that I that I see with this is uh, this legis this legislation does nothing to reduce the tragedy of in custody deaths. Really, the only outcome it's concerned with is the successful prosecution of police officers and civil litigation against police departments. Uh, section one of the bill is extraordinarily telling. I mean, we're focused on evidence code, and and part one of sec or part A of section one is. Evidence that a person suffered or experienced excited delirium shall not be admitted in any civil action. Uh, and, and really, uh, this is legislation that was written by attorneys for attorneys in support of their efforts to line their pockets with money from the billion-dollar industry of suing law enforcement agencies. According to CBS News, right, the money used to pay police settlements comes primarily from taxpayers. So not only does this bill do nothing to reduce in-custody deaths, it helps ensure that communities that do experience these tragedies will also be saddled with the financial burden of enriching the vultures who profit from these horrible outcomes. Finally, and, and this is probably the most important part and, and the part we're going to spend the most time on, this bill is only going to serve to increase the likelihood for in-custody deaths. While the specific mechanisms for this phenomena, excited delirium, and diagnostic protocols, both pre- and post-mortem, are not well understood and subject to heated debate, the empirical reality of excited delirium and its associated behaviors are well-documented risk factors for in-custody death. I am not a medical doctor. I, I, I want to put that out there. But, but I would like to read to you the introduction to a chapter entitled Excited Delirium Syndrome, written by three well-known emergency medical physicians employed by the University of California, San Diego, who, by the way, under this bill, will no longer be able to uh, conduct this research uh, under this name. They're, they're not going to be able to push forward our understanding of these things uh, because they officially, they work for the state. And so uh, uh, by the letter of, of the law, they are not going to be permitted to pursue an understanding of, of what is going on here. Um, but, but these doctors, uh, well-known emergency uh, medical physicians, uh, wrote a chapter entitled Excited Delirium Syndrome. Uh, it, uh, it comes from a book. It's an edited book called Guidelines for Investigating Officer-Involved Shootings, Arrest-Related Deaths, and Deaths in Custody. Um, the, the editors of the book were Daryl Ross and Gary Vilke. Gary Vilke uh, is a medical doctor as well. And we're going to uh, just read the introduction here because I think it provides some context. And again, I don't want to speak myself about about uh, some of these medical issues. Uh, we'll rely on them, and and then we'll we'll look at some other things. And and I'm just going to read the in introduction here because I think it provides some context. Excited delirium syndrome is generally defined as an alteration in mental status accompanied by severe agitation and frequent combativeness. This agitate this agitation may manifest as intense fear, paranoia, hyperactivity, shouting, panic, or violence. If left untreated, this syndrome has the potential to lead to a sudden cessation of struggling behavior in conjunction with cardiac or respiratory uh, arrest. 
Although this clinical entity has been loosely described in the literature for 150 years, there will remain no clear defined diagnostic criteria, and this is important for excited delirium. Some of the clinical characteristics that one may see in these subjects include elevated temperature and large pupils, high pain tolerance, superhuman strength, severe sweating, lack of fatigue, inappropriate clothing for the environment. And this is usually associated with uh, little to no clothing, even in cold environments, combativeness, delirium, uh, an attraction to glass and mirrors. And oftentimes um, people who are, are suffering uh, from, from the syndrome uh, will break a glass or break mirrors and, and they'll have uh, cuts all over their arms and all over their bodies uh, uh, from that. Um, uh, and, and they'll uh, oftentimes continue to struggle despite attempts to restrain them or uh, actually being restrained. One of the diagnostic dilemmas associated with excited uh, delirium syndrome is that many of these characteristics overlap with a variety of other medical and psychiatric conditions, such as sepsis, uh, stimulant, uh, stimulant drug intoxication, uh, hyperthyroidism, seizure dis disorder, schizophrenia, and bipolar disease. It is only after these conditions are evaluated and controlled for that one can apply an excited delirium uh, syndrome as a diagnosis. Given that individuals with excited delirium syndrome are confused or delirious, agitated, combative, and often destructive, law enforcement is often called on and their intervention is often necessary to mitigate the harm and damage that these individuals may do to themselves or others. So it's important to note that law enforcement are going to come into contact with, with individuals who are suffering from this. Many fatal cases of excited delirium do occur while in police custody and generally involve some degree of struggle with either medical staff or law enforcement, followed by some type of physical restraint. Uh, this has led to significant investigation and controversy surrounding the validity of excited delirium syndrome, which has alternatively been described as sudden in-custody death syndrome. Although originally described post-mortem by medical examiners, the clinical entity of excited delirium syndrome is now well-recognized in emergency medicine, psychiatric, pre-hospital, and medical legal literature. Uh, Gill describes excited delirium, and that's a 2014 study, as a clinical pathological diagnosis that must be based on both the laboratory and toxicology results, as well as the historical and clinical aspects of each case. However, most experts believe this is a clinical diagnosis that may have laboratory findings that are common and supportive, but not necessarily... Uh, pathognomonic uh, or diagnostic as excited delirium syndrome. Given the complicated and controversial nature of excited delirium syndrome and the context in which it generally occurs, it is imperative that investigators have a thorough understanding of the signs and symptoms of excited delirium syndrome in order to assist with the confirmation of this diagnosis when appropriate. And so not only is it important for investigators to understand this, it's important for researchers to look at this, and it's important for police practitioners uh, uh, to, to look at this 
uh, as as well. And if we're not taking these things into consideration, uh, it, it can in and of itself lead to bad outcomes. Look, when I first started in law enforcement uh, back in the early 2000s, uh, the behaviors, as this legislation terms them, associated with excited delirium were treated as just that, behaviors. Officers would respond to a situation in some in which somebody, often naked or only partially clothed, was destroying proper, property. They're acting aggressively. They're acting violently. Uh, the person would not respond to attempts to talk with them or verbal commands from officers. And so when officers attempted to take them into custody, so oftentimes, right, their behavior continued. They continue breaking things. They would continue uh, assaulting people. Uh, I responded to a case once, uh, you know, didn't know what it was, but we had a guy that was naked. He had walked out onto the freeway. He was, he was crawling up onto the top of a truck and he was, he was, the truck driver had, had to slam on his brakes in order to avoid hitting this guy. And he, he had crawled up onto the hood of the truck and he was trying to break through the glass and he was telling the truck driver that he was going to eat his soul, right? And despite multiple commands to stop, this guy was continuing to try and break through the glass and get at this truck driver who was terrified inside of his cab. And of course, in those types of situations, law enforcement have to intervene. And if somebody's not going to stop because of, of verbal commands to stop that type of behavior, that type of aggressive, assaultive behavior or destructive behavior, we, we have to we have to physically intervene. We have to put our hands on them. It's not that we have to use a high level of force in many cases. It's that we we have to intervene. But in 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 many of these cases, when we start to intervene on, on that case, People, uh, they actually start to elevate who are experiencing this situation, right? Instead of de-escalating, uh, they start to uh, actively and violently resist. And, and so uh, when officers attempt to take them into custody, which an officer would typically do with someone who is actively destroying proper property or threatening and assaulting other people, the person violently resists and assaults the officers. The officers in turn escalate their use of force. And this often resulted in a prolonged struggle. So officers not recognizing, you know, or kind of categorizing this behavior as a medical emergency, treating it solely as behavior, you know, they would start this an initial interaction as they would with any other interaction. And, and then suddenly they find themselves in the middle of a prolonged struggle. They don't have the resources there to control the subject. Medical personnel haven't been called. And so we end up with this prolonged struggle, which by the way, further exacerbates the likelihood for sudden in-custody death. So rather than insisting the individual be transported to a hospital, if the struggle did not result in visible injury, the person would be medically cleared in the field and transported to the jail. This approach dramatically increased the likelihood for in-custody deaths, both immediately after the struggle, during the transport to the jail, and while the person was in custody at the jail. And, and we saw that. We saw, we saw a lot of high-profile cases in which this very thing occurred, a tragedy every single time. Uh, but the traditional law enforcement response to that was not effective. Then we started 
suddenly coming around with uh, the idea that, uh, uh, wait, that the, there's this syndrome out there, excited delirium, and, and and we need to treat it as a medical emergency. This is not just a behavior that needs to be addressed with with regular law enforcement methods. Uh, it's it, These are indications that the person is at risk for sudden in-custody death. Uh, and so the, the goal shifted from taking a person into custody because of their behavior toward getting them medical treatment as quickly as possible. And with training and awareness about the behaviors associated with excited delirium, law enforcement officers across the country begin to treat these cases as medical emergencies rather than criminal behavior. This means that many agencies, when possible, were waiting until medical personnel were on scene prior to even attempting contact with somebody that was exhibiting these behaviors. Many agencies develop tactics to utilize resources, tools, and techniques to reduce the likelihood for a prolonged struggle and getting them into the back of the ambulance and to an emergency room as quickly as possible rather than arresting them and taking them to jail became the priority. There is circumstantial evidence that this approach had an impact on improving the mortality rates associated with excited delirium. And I'd refer you to some of the recommended reading that will be attached to this podcast to, to learn a little bit more. But more and more comprehensive research, I, I would say more and more comprehensive research is needed. We, we've got to dig into this issue. And, and, and rather than banning a term or medical diagnosis outright, we need to dig in and understand why these events are occurring and look for ways to improve outcomes. And so this legislation explicitly removes the validity of law enforcement and responding paramedics, paramedics, um, the validity of, of the medical diagnosis for, for them if they are called. Um, and rather than, rather than doing that, we're treating these behaviors uh, as a legitimate uh, medical emergency. So this legislation basically says these are behaviors. There's no medical diagnosis here. This is not a medical issue. There's no, there's no science to support that. Uh, and so we don't have a medical diagnosis. You should address the behaviors. And if we're addressing the behaviors, if somebody's assaulting somebody, uh, whether they're sweaty, naked, uh, or exhibiting some of these other uh, uh, kind of uh, symptoms that are uh, that have been associated with excited delirium, if we only do that, we actually exacerbate the, the likelihood for in-custody death. This, this legislation explicitly removes the validity of law enforcement and responding paramedics if they are called, of treating these behaviors as a legitimate medical emergency. This all but guarantees we will increase the likelihood for in-custody deaths. According to uh, Gonin, um, uh, Basard, uh, Yersin, and Karen, who published a 2018 systematic review of the research on excited delirium in the Journal of Academic Emergency Medicine, uh, who, by the way, included 66 scientific articles on the topic. So there, there certainly is uh, evidence that excited delirium uh, empirically exists, uh, concluded the following. This unique systematic review of the literature on excited delirium syndrome shows a global predominance of low to very low levels of evidence. Our results suggest that excited delirium syndrome is a real clinical entity, that it still kills people, and that it probably has specific mechanisms and risk factors. 
The numerous unresolved questions that remain warrant further investigations. A universal and objective definition must be urgently developed to allow for more structured and standardized research with a better level of evidence, such as with prospective cohorts comprising toxic, metabolic, and genetic aspects. Randomized and controlled trials on treatment and care of these patients are essential. I included their complete uh, systematic review uh, as a link uh, below the podcast as well. Instead of banning a term and trying to legislatively control medical and pathological diagnosis, why don't we fund better research and develop protocols that improve the safety of our communities and our law enforcement officers while reducing the tragic outcome of in-custody deaths? Thank you so much. Uh, I look forward to talking to you again soon. The New View Police Podcast would not be possible without the support of our sponsors and listeners like you. If you enjoyed this free episode and want to help support future content, please visit our sponsors and consider contributing a small donation through the link provided under the episode. Thank you.